Hey everyone, welcome to the Intelligent Conversations podcast where we believe everyone has a form of intelligence that resides within them. Our goal is to encourage these types of conversations for our audience to listen to. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, this is your host Josh Baker with the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today I have Christina Stanton on. She's a licensed tour guide in New York City, so I'm sure she has a lot of interesting stories to share with us regarding that. She's also published two books, one of which is about 9-11. So Christina, I don't know if you know this, but I was not even alive when 9-11 took place because I was born in 2002. So do you think you could share maybe your experience on that day? Because, I mean, we just had the 20-year anniversary. Uh, I kind of want to hear about that. Yeah, it was a big anniversary. So that morning of September 11th, uh, just a little bit of backstory. I was 31. I was newlywed, not about a year and a half. My husband was 35. And we lived, uh, we got an apartment six blocks away from the World Trade Center site. We got this killer apartment on the 24th floor of, of a building that was, as it was, was gorgeous. It was a 1931 old bank. But it was really the view from the terrace that I just fell in love with. And it overlooked the Twin Towers and the World Trade Center site. So we'd only moved there July the 7th of 2001. So our stuff was still in boxes. And in every way, kind of just felt like we were just starting out in, you know, from, from a new marriage to a new apartment. We just got a new dog. And so everything was like new. And I couldn't, I was just so excited about everything. And then that morning, I was still asleep and my husband was awake. And he came and shook me awake because the, the impact of the, the plane hitting the North Tower actually shook our building. So we knew right away something bad had just happened, at, at the very least an earthquake. So he came and shook me awake and said, something's happened. Let's, let's go on the terrace and see what's going on. We went onto the terrace and we saw flames and smoke coming out of the North Tower. And we were just like transfixed, just watching this crazy scene, listening to people scream on the street below, all the sirenses of, of the police cars and the ambulances. And all of a sudden, over our right-hand shoulder, the second plane came and went right over our heads and swooped right in front of us and turned and went into the South Tower. And I don't know if shockwaves blew us back into the apartment I don't know if I stumbled back into our apartment and fainted. I don't know. But what I know is the next thing that happened was I, I woke up on our living room floor with my dog jumping on me. And we evacuated and ran down the 24 flights, me still in my pajamas with bare feet, didn't even put on shoes. And we walked to nearby Battery Park. So that's a 25-acre park, which is at the very, very tip, southern tip of, of Manhattan. And that's where we were when the Twin Towers came down and covered us with dust and debris and surrounded us by smoke. And, um, you know, we were surrounded by water pretty much down there because that's where, again, kind of the New York Harbor and the East River and the Hudson River meet the Manhattan land. And we all felt trapped. And it was a scary, completely scary situation. My husband and I told each other goodbye. And then we were actually evacuated by a boat and dropped off in New Jersey and didn't get back to our apartment for two weeks. So it was just kind of a big mess. Obviously, uh, I mean, our story doesn't compare to the almost 3,000 people who died that day who had a horrifying situation, but ours was no less horrifying in its own way and to the point where we were pretty sure that we were going to die and saying goodbye to each other. We're not really dramatic people. We just thought any worse than this and, and that, that's the end for us. 
And yeah, it kind of just went on from there. We were unemployed. We suffered PTSD. Our dog almost died from, well, he did end up dying from 9-11. He got sick right away. My husband found out one of his fraternity brothers died in the North Tower. And it was just, yeah, it just sucked. It was awful. And and it kind of just defined the rest of our lives, to tell you the truth. So I totally understand that you weren't born, Josh, and, and lots of people weren't born, you know, um, during that time. But it's so funny because, you know, when you when you reach my age at 51, 20 years really isn't all that long. It's not all that far away. I know it, it might seem at your age, but it really, it really isn't. It's kind of like just, you know, it happened yesterday in a way. So, and for us, you know, for all of us who lived through it, it did just happen yesterday. Yeah, I totally, I totally get that because, I mean, I've talked with my parents about that too. And they're like, yeah, I mean, a decade for us is almost like a year of when I was your age. It's like time seems like to just all of a sudden just speed up and you're like, it's the weirdest thing. But I mean, I think it's interesting because, I mean, I just recently graduated high school and uh, when we studied uh, American history in specific, we would never get past the world wars. And I was like, come on, I want to learn like stuff that actually happened like recently, like in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, like especially 9-11. That's a yeah. huge event, but they don't teach that Dude, stuff. So I, I don't know. So much. I've heard that so much that a lot of people your age didn't end up studying it much. That that it's almost it was it didn't it's not even not in a lot of textbooks. I mean, it's like it's considered kind of current events. So, yeah, I, I, I have definitely noticed that in people your age the 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 history that you've learned about it is is pretty one note and one dimensional if if it was deep at all you know so i think it's just it kind of seems like it's what your teachers chose to tell you in history classes of what they themselves knew about it would yeah I, I would agree with that because especially since most of our teachers actually lived through that event too they kind of gave their point of view on that event and like where they were specifically in that event cuz I mean, I remember one of my teachers, he was like, oh, there's only two like events that I remember exactly where I was and like what was happening around me. And that's 9-11 and uh, the Columbine shooting, because obviously he's a teacher. Yeah. And then he's just like, yeah, those are two events that just shocked the world. And he's like, and and the weird thing was, is he was like an orchestra teacher. So like we would have one, Ah. (laughs) we would have one day that we would just learn about 9-11. That's it. Like, and I, I was kind of like yeah. bummed. I'm like, man, I love current events. Why can't we teach this in history? I don't know. Maybe, I mean, you've written a book about it. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And, uh, yeah. yeah and, and interesting. Cause it kind of ties in with what you were just saying. So, and it's not to knock your teachers at all, but honestly, what I had learned throughout the years is that a lot of, a lot of the, the, the full story of nine 11 not never got around never made it in the media so so i feel like people who live outside of new york you heard a lot about the planes you heard a lot about terrorists and terrorism you heard a lot about the rescue workers and you heard a lot about the towers and the pentagon but like for instance when i when i just told you about that that i was rescued by boat did you know that i was rescued within the largest boat evacuation in history larger than world war ii and dunkirk that 500,000 people were taken off the island of Manhattan. Right. And you, you didn't because like your teacher probably didn't know that either. It's actually very few people know that not knocking your teacher. It's not his, it's not his or her fault. Uh, a lot of these kind of stories, like again, the largest 
you know, boat evacuation history just never made the rounds in media. And I don't know why, but I started realizing that as a tour guide. So like Josh, let's say like you and your group came up to New York city and I would tour you, uh, for the last 20 years, I've been saying, okay, Josh and all of y'all tell me what you knew, what you've been taught about nine 11. And so I've been doing that. So I've almost been formulating in my own mind, what didn't make the cut or what you uh, like collectively you all hadn't heard of. And that's what my book is about is, 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 is these kind of stories like the boat evacuation that clearly never made it around. And I think it's important to know. I mean, it kind of, it kind of just, you know, makes the scope of that day a lot more in depth and, and layered and textured. And I think that's important when you're telling any piece of history, it's not just like here, you know, here's, you know, the Holocaust, blah, 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 people died. You, you need to like, there's, there's a lot going on into the Holocaust, for instance, that you, that you need to understand the, the personal stories to connect your head knowledge to your heart knowledge. And the same thing with 9-11. There's some head knowledge, but there's, there's a lot that's not connected up with people's hearts. You know what I'm saying? It's just kind of like facts and figures. So I was trying to, I was trying to battle against that, to tell you the truth, and, and just uh, put my voice in there and hope that, that uh, people will understand that day better. Yeah, I, I like what you're doing there because, again, like, especially the younger generation, they're growing up not knowing, especially all the facts. And then with the internet, you never know what you're going to get. There's going to be. Exactly. Hello. <laughs> exactly. Good point. Great point. But, like, I, I, I actually think it's funny because this is kind of a little side note, but one time we were in a language arts class and uh, this one teacher took us to the library and the librarian was teaching us. Uh, how to spot like, you know, fake uh, information on the internet. And <laughs> I, I raised my hand at the end and I was like, hey, you realize like something in your big bibliography is from a website that's not exactly, you know, a trusted site. And she's like, oh, shoot. And then like her and took it out. I just thought it was so like ironic. It was it, it, that just what reminded me of something real quick. But wow. you know, it was it, it was it was funny because, yeah, I I. I, I couldn't believe that we were learning about how to spot fake information on the internet and, and there's some fake information there. But isn't that a sign of the times, you know, like who do you really trust? I, 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 I've been talking about nine 11 in, in front of groups, whether it's tours or I talk about it at like church groups. I even, I even go to prisons and talk about it. I just, I, I enjoy educating about nine 11. It's kind of a passion. It's kind of, a motivator for me. And, um, so I have a, 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 a page on, on Facebook and I've written a lot of articles about nine 11 that that's specifically got, got, um, picked up for the 20th um, anniversary. And somebody wrote in saying, I don't believe you were blown back into your building. And of course uh, people kind of, kind of, you know, said, you know, you weren't there, blah, blah, blah. I remember thinking, well, you know, he doesn't have to, it's not, it's, he can believe whatever he wants to believe, but, but I have a firsthand account and I can only speak to what I know and what I experienced rejected or not firsthand accounts and are, are hard to dispute. That's just what I experienced that now, please believe what you want to believe. But you know, I, I, I am not making this up. This is what happened to me, <laughs> you know, and the same thing with you, Josh, like you'll go through stuff and, you know, in your life, or if you haven't already and somebody will be like, uh, uh, and you'd be like, 
I'm sorry, but that's what happened. You know, like that's how I experienced it. Like, how can you, how can you literally like throw my personal experience under the bus? It's almost like they're trying to like rewrite your own personal history. It's like, I don't know how you can do that. (laughs) But yeah, I kind of want to, I want to hear a little bit more about, I mean, you kind of got me interested about like how 500,000 people were evacuated across the river that, that... And not only that but I, i'm almost kind of pissed it's not out there because it's the coolest story ever okay so listen to this so there were thousands of us that were trapped in battery park and we were totally trapped we couldn't get out i mean manhattan is very small and very narrow and we were surrounded by dust and debris and smoke we couldn't breathe the the we we're surrounded by water and the twin towers was the only route where you could where you could like try to bypass but you're going straight into the danger so the coast guard was sending of an fireboats up the hudson to try to uh put out the fires at the world raging at the world trade center site by these fireboats and they saw that all of us were trapped and people were pitching themselves into the hudson and the new york harbor trying to swim to like jersey and staten island and, and governor's island they knew people were desperate so they the coast guard issued a cb radio car call and said okay local boat owners boat operators um get your rig get your boat and go over to battery park pick people up don't care where you drop them but there's a lot of people in danger take them to safety um and i think they even had like a a meeting point before they were pitched out but people didn't do that boat boat boat, uh, owners heard that and just went straight to battery park and all of a sudden, I just remember looking out the water and seeing all of these boats coming toward us. It was like this crate. I was like, oh, my God, where are all these boats coming from? And, and to tell you, I didn't get my question answered because I kind of didn't care. I just like, I see a boat. I'm desperate. I want to get off this island. That's all I care about. I'll ask questions later. <laughs> you know. So, But it turns out that so many boats responded. I think I read, what did I read, 150 boats that's a lot. I mean, it is, there is a lot of boats in that area because, you know, it's, it's next to the ocean, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of bodies of water, but that's a lot of boats and over 800 like dock hands and captains uh, got on the, manned these boats. They were volunteers and some of them did it all day. Literally, they went across the Hudson, for instance, all day, picking people up, throwing people off, picking people up, throwing people off. And I just, it's such a heroic thing. Not that they were putting themselves into jeopardy. I mean, they didn't know if more attacks were going to happen. And as it turns out, you know, they were breathing in that, that poisonous dust that was, that was kind of, that basically when the towers came down, it devolved and pulverized into poisonous matter and poisonous material. We were inhaling it. They were inhaling it. And a lot of boat captains and dock cans have died because they got cancer from that crappy, you know, poisonous dust. But it's a, it's a wonderful story because, you know, when, when you hear something so ugly and so gross and so mean and nasty like 9-11, what kind of offsets it is, is knowing that a lot of people risk their lives to help other people. It's very, it's, it's almost like the worst of humanity and the best of humanity. And to hear those stories together, there's just something really lovely. And it just, it, it's almost like you can connect with it more. And there's something motivating because you cut, you can think like, Josh, like if, I, I mean, God forbid, like a nine 11 happens in your lifetime. But you know, when you hear these stories like this, don't you think sometimes like, what would I do? I'd like to think that I would help somebody in need, you know? And, and it's almost, it, that's, that's, yeah. that's a, I would like to think it's a typical reaction and hearing hero stories. 
almost feel like gets our brains wrapped around the fact that anybody can be a hero. And I'd like to think that I might be a hero in people's time of need. So I think we need those hero stories. And that's why I love the boat evacuation. Yeah, I, that, I love that perspective on thing. It actually kind of reminded me of, I, I haven't actually read this, but I've read a, experts of it. It's a book by C.S. Lewis. I'm trying to remember the name. Ooh. And it, it's t- You're a C.S. Lewis guy. Oh my <laughs> but they're talking about uh, like pretty much how to make a devil. And uh, you tape letters, probably. Yeah, I think I think that's it. Yeah, and uh, it, what was interesting is like they're talking to this person, and it was like, so uh, should we start a war or whatever? Because everyone's killing each other, and he's like, well, yeah. uh, actually, maybe not, because it actually brings people closer together and more united. Right. And right. it's 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 an interesting perspective. I feel like there's always balance in like pretty much all things. That always the negative will always balance out the good. And even if like, sure, I mean, even in today's day and age, the bad will always be in the front news. Like that's what, because everyone wants to know what's going on and that's what generates revenue for those companies. But what the, you have to remember, there's always good people that offset that bad news. Like, especially uh, yeah. when it comes to yeah, yeah. 9-11, I, I remember oh hearing my God. something where it was like, uh, someone was saying that like the reason why it was the south tower that was second right uh yeah and that yeah and okay yeah yeah so it was the second one to get hit though right okay so i i just remember someone saying that like when the north tower got hit that in the south tower someone gave out the command to like all right start like evacuating the south tower and it's just like who who is this guy like there's a lot of like unheard heroes especially in 9-11 i mean with the boat story too i bet have those people go unrecognized. I don't know if I, I kind of want to hear, do you have any like specific examples of uh, an unheard hero that you would say deserves a lot of credit for that day? Yes. Oh my gosh. There's so many. There's so many. Um, I think of the dude, um, I think his, his name his last name was Cruz. I would have to look it up, but he, no one's, I, I, I read about him and like, I had to dig to find out about this guy. So there's this man who was working at the Mercer Hotel. Okay, so the Mercer Hotel's in Soho. Soho's not far from, from the World Trade Center site, but it's not so close either. He saw, he was an elevator repair guy. He saw that the towers had been hit. He made his way down. Everybody was going north and going away from the towers. He went towards it. Turns out, um, unfortunately, the elevator guys who normally worked in the tower were told to evacuate but guess what 200 people were trapped in the elevators completely trapped no way to get out they were locked in literally the mechanism that kept people from from falling uh, you know in normal times or something weird happening in elevators is the same mechanism that locked them in and i can't think of a worse kind of like death at being locked in to a small little elevator this guy and all the elevator guys were let go and they, they evacuated, they left and there was nobody to release them. So this elevator repairman gets down to the towers, realizes that, whoa, that people are trapped there and there's no one to help. He wasn't working there. This wasn't a, a building that he was associated with. There, these were people he knew, but he got to work on trying to release those people from the elevators. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like he was successful. And unfortunately, he lost his life. But he had no more affiliation, no more connection 
with all that, he could have just walked away. He was already far away in Soho. And um, I, mean, I could easily look up his name real quick because I, I, I used to write about him. But I, I just find there's a ton of stories just like that. And, you know, that guy, I mean, what, what a heroic thing to do. It wasn't his job, wasn't his people, wasn't his buildings. And yet, you know, so there is, there, I could just literally go on. There are so many people who literally, or have you, have, have you heard of Wells Crowther? Uh-oh. Not too far from your age, 24-year-old dude. He was known as the man with the red bandana. Okay, so people identified who, who, who ended up uh, living, who uh, evacuated the building. They said, a man in a red bandana saved me. So his parents were reading up. He died, by the way, in 9-11. His parents were reading the newspaper and said, our son wore a red bandana. He was always wearing a red bandana. They put two and two together. And, lo- and long and short of it is their 24-year-old son, he wasn't a rescue worker. He was just, you know, he was, he was a, a schmo working at, a, at one of the towers. He was, he was an office uh, guy, just like, you know, all, all of us would be. He rose up, became, uh, put, took on the role of, of, of a rescuer. He saved at least 18 people, if not tons more. He was 24. He lost wow. his life. He went into <laughs> Rambo mode. And he put on, and he had on a red bandana. So now I, I understand that his college, and I don't, I'm not familiar what, I forgot what his college is, um, it spends a day wearing red bandanas in memory of him. And they, I mean, I mean, amazing guy, 24. That's, that's the you know coolest I mean? thing I've ever heard. I mean, especially, I feel like a lot of people, like it's almost unexpected too. Like people that typically one usually you're like wait really they're the ones that are out there that are standing up and like you're like what like they're the ones helping people and like being the heroes right, right. and then right. it's almost some of the people that you expected that are like oh they would be there for me or whatever like and they're the ones freaking hightailing it they're like get me out of here like me 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 and it's like yeah, yeah, i yeah. i i almost want to say i i want to be careful with my words here but you have to have like again it's a balance act i think you have to have a, like a little bit of like personal, like you don't want to be a people pleaser too much because if you're a people pleaser, I feel like you're too nice. And then when the big moments occur, then it's like, get me out of here. Like you've never actually focused on yourself enough, but where if you have a little bit of mm. focusing on yourself, mm. then you're like, Hey, I like, you can actually make a decision for yourself. You'll say, Hey, this something bad's happening. I think I can actually do something good. Well, as other people, they've never had that conversation with themselves. And then when disaster strikes, they're like, oh, shoot. And then it's all of a sudden it just reverts back to them. And when they have that conversation with themselves, they just, they, they just scram. And I mean, th- there's nothing wrong with that. I, I wouldn't say like, yes, protect yourself. But I mean, in order to be a hero, I would say you have to, you have to at least be able to look inside and say, hey, like, what can I do to help? And I don't know. Uh, what would you? That's a good balance. So you have to have a balance of like you want to, you know, you have your self preservation and you want to live. But if you can help others, you know, are you able to do that and and um, uh, help others, but also like take care of yourself at the same time? You know, it's you know what I think. I feel like I, so. I'm 51. Sometimes I look back and I think, what what would I tell somebody like Josh your age? And I know this, this sounds, this may sound weird, but you know what has helped me through life, especially in situations like that is having good reflexes. So let me tell you like about reflexes. Like one thing I think that benefits everybody is 
is being able to make you know, quick decisions and be aware of your surround. And, if, and making a quick decision would, would entail many things. Part of it is you have to be aware of your surroundings. Who's next to you? Do you sense any danger? Um, you're calculating uh, what's next, what's in front of you, what's behind you. Um, if you see it's danger, you know, you're able to calculate that danger kind of quickly where you stand in the midst of it, where others stand in the midst of it. I just feel like I, I, um, developing good reflexes is a worthwhile endeavor because I've ended up in my lifetime meeting those reflexes, you know, and um, like sometimes like I, I was, I was actually going by um, some, I don't know what happened, some power box that was sparked fire the other day. And there was a girl who was just kind of looking at it and she was kind of taking everybody's space. Like everybody was trying to do a wide swath around it, but she, but we had to go around her because I mean, my first thought was reflexes, sweetheart, work on those reflexes. But I just remember thinking like, you're in danger. You're kind of putting us in danger. And, and you know, you, you want, you want to just be quicker in the game because you don't, sometimes you don't get a second, uh, wait, what would you even say? Um, you don't get a second chance to make some decisions that, that um, that that'll be best for you and best for others. So developing good reflexes is 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 a is something good at your age, you know. Uh, I actually like that you mentioned that because I mean I'm gonna kind of relate it here to sports or whatever. Because I I did a, some sports in school or whatever, and uh, I especially when it came to track, I was a sprinter, and it was all about reflexes. And I mean, oh, yeah. of course, when you're in when you're in danger, it's like you only get one chance, but in a way, it's like we get those second chance. We get to practice it. So I, I, I like sports in the way that like it teaches you like you need to actually react like like fast, and you need to be uh, like especially when the gun goes off for track and field. It's like and it's set, and then bam, and then you just like you got it. It's the quick muscle fibers, all that fun stuff, and you just. I'm telling you, man, that's gonna help you in life. That's gonna help you in life. That's a good skill. Yeah, and I. I like that. The I really like the, uh, that you said that because I mean, it even applies to your mind too. Like you have to be able to react quickly in your mind. Cause I mean, as much as we want it yeah. to cooperate, sometimes our mind and our body do not agree with each other. Like sometimes our body's like, go, 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 go. And then our mind's like, Whoa, I can't do this. Like, are you crazy? Or it's the uh, vice versa. And I, I, I really like that you mentioned that. So thank you. So I mean, that, that actually kind of answered a question that I was going to ask you. And it's like, but would, would you say that's the one piece of advice you'd give to someone if, uh, like to anyone in the world, if you could, would that be your one piece of advice? Uh, no, not necessarily. Like, uh, and what, like what kind of scenario, um, if I, or just saying just in general advice. Yeah. Just, just in like general advice, just kind of out there, like one piece of advice with the world, okay. what would it be? You know what I would say? challenge yourself. Do something that's the ultimate challenge. It uh, For me, you know what it was? It was moving from a small town in Florida to New York City when I was 23. I didn't know anybody. I had very little money. And it scared the crap out of me. Let me tell you. I didn't sleep for like two years because it was scary and it was expensive and I didn't have any skills and I was I was not very employable. And I got lost a lot, meaning like I don't have a great sense of direction, which you, which you need anywhere. So, so, but you know what? 
doing, it's almost like doing the thing I feared in a way I wanted to do it, but I also feared it. But doing it opened up all of these doors to essentially the rest of my life, right? And so, so it's almost like do something that's an ultimate challenge. It could be a sports thing, meaning like what about an, an ultra mar- an ultra marathon or whatever. Um, but just you know, do do something that um, is an ultimate challenge because, and, and maybe even I mean you can do it at any age, but if you if you make some of these kind of choices when you're young. It almost sets the tone for your life, you know, like, hey, I did an ultra marathon at age 21. And that taught me that working hard is going to achieve, you know, a, a level of stability. You know, it's like it's almost like challenging yourself, uh, especially at your age, will give you some serious, um, you know, life, life, uh, like bedrock to build your life on. And, and just, you know, getting to your getting also getting to know your own limits. You know, like I, I, when I was growing up, my parents said, oh, you can do anything you want. Actually, no, dude, I'm not, in some ways I am not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree. And I say that knowing that I have some limitations, but you know what? The stuff that I can do, I'm seriously good at, but it's, it's almost like knowing yourself to know like, okay, you know what? I mean, not closing the door necessarily, but just saying, Hey, I'm kind of challenged in that way. So, you know, I'm going to go with my strengths and I've got some. And I'm going to go with that. And I'm going to really develop that. Or, you know, I'm not so good at this area. So here's what I'm going to do to make sure I can do the best I can, knowing that I'm compromised there. And so knowing yourself is, is going to challenging and knowing yourself. I'm telling you, it's going to do some, uh, just really put your life in a direction that's ultimately going to bring you some happiness. Um, and it's in fulfillment, maybe, you know, so that's what I would say, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's actually really, like, really, really good advice. Because I think a lot of, especially, I I don't want to say this, but I feel like a lot of my generation, especially, I don't, soft, I think we're kind of soft in a way, like, especially, and I think there's multiple sides to blame. Like, I mean, our parents probably gave us a lot more than we probably should have deserved. And then the same time, though, we were kind of whiny about it. And like, there's all these other scenarios. And I would almost say that in a way, like they've never experienced anything hard. And I I've seen this right now. A lot of kids are going out to college and doing these things. And all of a sudden it's like, wait, what? Like it's something hard for them. And it's like challenges, especially. And they're like, wait, mom and dad, like, are you going to, and they're like, no, you're, you're on your own now. Like you're supposed to figure it out. And you're like, what? Like, and it's just, and it just hits you like full train. And I, I would say in a way, like at the time I was said, no way. But like at a time when I was 14, like really hard times just came. And I, I'm not going to mention here because it's kind of personal, but like just really just hard challenges. And my parents just like, you know what, you're just going to have to deal with it and just learn from it. And in a way it almost prepared me from now. So like now I look back and I'm like, that's the greatest thing that could have happened to me. But then in that moment, I was like, this sucks. So now I almost look at scenarios where I'm like, this sucks. And I'm like, oh, you're going to look back in five years and you're going to be like, dude, that was the greatest thing that happened to me. And I I, kind of want to hear maybe some thoughts about uh, that. Would you say that some of your biggest challenges are some of your greatest moments as well? (laughs) Yes. Okay. And this is getting personal. Okay. We're getting personal here. I dated a dude for a few years 
and this was my mid-20s. <clears throat> and I don't know what I was blinded by. We were so not good together. But I had it in my head. I want this to work. And I, I, you know, I gave it, I gave it too much. And, and we just, we weren't a match and I just wouldn't let it go. Right. Until he kind of cut me loose, which, you know, which is great because we shouldn't have, we, we, we went way too far. Um, you know, that, that song by Taylor Swift, um, uh, nice to meet you. Where you been? That was actually a very accurate song. Um, anyway, <laughs> but that's, that was our relationship. So when it finally ended after a couple of years, I was so bummed and I, I just, I felt bad about myself. I felt, I felt kind of unlovable, un, un, unwanted and kind of even like, it just really did a number on me and my, um, myself, my self-esteem. I met my husband, uh, not too long after, after uh, this guy and I, maybe a year, a year after this guy and I broke up and he was just the nicest, sweetest. The other guy was full of drama and a big gregarious personality, which is fine, but um, my husband, in contrast, was was uh, soft spoken and sweet and loving, and he's very religious, and he's very a very happy man, and and very loving. He loves that that dude loves everybody, just loves everybody. And to tell you the truth, if I had met him off the bat, I probably would have thought he was boring. I probably thought he was a little milk toast and almost too too sweet for me. But the contrast between my husband. And the guy that I dated before him was so great. I thought, well, you know, I got that one wrong. This one's the opposite. Maybe I'm more suited to that. We actually got, we got married within six months. And I'm telling you, I, I, I love my husband with, with every ounce of my being. He is the, he is the best thing that will ever happen to me on this earth. That is my earthly gift. I thank God every day for him. And I know that sounds Pollyannish, but I really do. He's a wonderful human being, but you know what? I would have never recognized all of his wonderful qualities. I would have overlooked him and thought he was boring, probably, if I didn't have the contrast of how horrible that guy was before. And so, so for for even after I got married, I was like, why did I even date that guy? This is ridiculous. I mean, but then I was like, well, there you go. I had to I had to realize what kind of a match is best for me, and that that's what the guy taught me. You know, and so it's like, in a way, I almost can thank him for my husband because I needed that contrast. I needed to go through something bad to realize what something good was. So, yeah, I think about that a lot. I I really like that. Uh, I, I, I like that story. That was that was really good. And I, I'm going to kind of add something to that. I think the only way that growth, I guess, so to speak, can occur is you have to be lower than you like you have to go up type of thing yeah. Yeah. and especially when you begin looking back yeah. like my motto is is if you're looking back on the past you better be in a worse position then if you're in a worse position now obviously you're doing something you need to change something now but yeah. and then the future you want to envision it and you want it to be better for you and i think it's just a constant process and in the present you want to remember to live in the present in that moment and then i think i'm going to kind of tie this into your reflexes you want to be able to react to what comes your way, especially opportunities. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I really like that. Uh, you that that story was really good, and I, I like that you mentioned that. So I think we're beginning to kind of wrap up here, and uh, I, I kind of want to get your final thoughts. Uh, 
what do you want the audience to remember about Christina Stanton? What do you want them to remember about you? So I think even though we didn't go too far into the 9-11 story, um, I'm going to tie it up with, you know, 9-11 was, was terrible. Um, I mean, having to say goodbye to life at age 31, and I thought I was dying at age 31, when I thought, I hadn't even started life. This sucks. I haven't done anything. But I'm talking, when you were saying you have to get down low, that for me was low. I became really, really depressed after 9-11 for a long time. I, I suffered from PTSD. I didn't know what PTSD was, right? And, but, you know, from there, I kind of asked some questions to myself. I was like, what did I want out of life? What did I want for this life? Who am I? And where do I fit in in life on this earth? Maybe the stuff that I was wanting before 9-11 is not worthy goals of me and, and, and really what, what I, what's a bigger picture of life. And so I had to get down really low to ask myself some questions that I'd never asked myself before. And those were, again, big picture, what I want out of life, who am I, what can I do for this life, what can I contribute, what, what, um, what kind of messaging do I want from my, for, for, my, for me and maybe I would have asked that, but maybe when I was 50, maybe, maybe now. But I just asked that, those kind of questions earlier because I thought I would have a shorter life. And I thought, well, if I can have a shorter life, I want it with purpose. So I guess I would say, um, you're right. You have to get to some low spots so you can figure things out. And even though I don't love it when I hear somebody hit, hit a low point, because I don't wish that on anybody, it is true that, um, that uh, it's, 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 you, you learn from your mistakes. And um, I was making a lot of mistakes before 9-11. 9-11 got me to a low point and, and it, it forced my hand to, to set my needle somewhere else. And, um, and since then, um, even though of course I would never wish 9-11 on anybody and wish, wish it never happened, for me in the aftermath, it taught me a lot of things. And again, don't like people go th to go suffering, but we are all gonna suffer in life. It's just the way it goes. Believe me, I'm 51. Everyone suffers to different to different degrees, and try, try, try to learn from your mistakes, and try to 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 see the meaning and growth and things, and grow because life is wonderful. Life is an adventure, but it's all about how you're gonna, what lens you're looking through life. If you're if you're not looking at, I'm I'm here to learn from what I just did and grow. It's gonna be a long life, a sad life for for you. So I'd almost like, uh, I guess for for people just to. Remember my words there that I wish the best for them, but learn from your mistakes. And I wish, I wish people a happy life and you can get happy from your low points. You can, you can learn and you can grow and you can get happy. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. There's always, there's always a better, better place that you can be. There's always better. And I mean, I think that yeah. that's one of the pot. There's always hope. Yeah. There's always, always hope. And I think that's actually, I mean, I'm going to kind of wrap up with this. I think that's actually one of the benefits of the internet. I mean, yes, uh, it obviously affects mental health and stuff, but you can see that, look, things can get better. And if you start looking at through that, yeah. I think I it can really help a lot of people. So yeah, thank you for coming on. It's it's really been a pleasure. Thanks, thank you for educating me on. I wish you the best, man. I really do. I wish you the thank best. You. And everyone... you look really awesome, <laughs> thank you. Everyone. Thank you. And Everyone, that is Christina Stanton, as you can tell, a very intelligent person. And uh, tune in to next week's episode. I have a great guest lined up for that as well. 
thank you guys for listening. I could not do this without you guys. And we'll see you guys next week. And let's get after it. Hey everyone, if you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We cannot have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and there should be a form there for you guys to fill out. Thank you guys again and let's get after it.